0: Welcome to the California Sun Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sheckman. Historically, one of the most fundamental beliefs we've clung to is the idea that we have agency over our actions, that free will governs our behavior, our decisions, and ultimately our success or failure. And perhaps nowhere in the country is this more true than here in California, given our sometimes libertarian bent. Yet in recent times, it seems like our burgeoning culture of victimhood runs directly counter to this long-held conviction. But what if the divergence didn't stop at cultural shifts? What if science, medicine, and philosophy also began to challenge this cornerstone of free will, leaning more towards a deterministic view of human behavior? What if these disciplines collectively supported the idea of determinism over free will, thereby giving credence to what some might call a culture of victimhood? To delve into this provocative notion I'm joined today by Robert Sapolsky, a recipient of a MacArthur Genius Grant, a professor of biology and neurology at Stanford, and a best-selling author. Sapolsky has dedicated his career to understanding the complexities of human behavior. In his previous book, Behave, Sapolsky dissected the intricate interplay of nature and nurture, offering us nuanced understanding of why we do what we do. His new work is an extension of these ideas. His new book is Determined, a science of life without free will. He takes his arguments to their logical conclusion as he challenges our most deeply held beliefs about free will and agency, arguing that our lives are far more predetermined than we'd like to believe. Robert Sapolsky's other works include A Primate's Memoir, The Trouble with Testosterone, and Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. His book Behave was a New York Times bestseller and named as a best book of the year. And it is my pleasure to welcome Stanford Professor Robert Sapolsky here to the California Sun podcast. Robert, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, and you just
1: did a much better summary of the book than I could, so (laughs) thanks for that also.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you for the kind words, and thanks for being here today. What is it fundamentally that causes such fear in, in people? when they think that maybe they don't have the free will they think they have? Agency,
1: I'm the captain of my fate kind of thing is very, very reassuring if you happen to be one of the lucky people, because then you could take credit for the good outcomes. And I think what we mostly hear from are the people who are trying to explain why they have such prestigious college degrees or corner offices or great salaries or happy (laughs) lives with people they love and who love them back and all of that. And I think it's basically the lucky people who are in a position to say, oh, my God, what a bummer it is that I may not actually be responsible for all my accomplishments, I think. it's actually not so much of a bummer for the majority of people out there for whom the world and luck has turned out not to be all that great and we
0: have all these myths that somehow they could have done otherwise these ideas this this notion of of predeterminism versus free will these ideas have been around for a long time but to what extent has our understanding of of genetics if nothing else begun to change that do you think
1: well it's genetics but genetics utterly intertwined with environment and utterly intertwined with all the other bits of science that made our brains what they are like why why did you do what you just did why did i just do that and it's like neurobiology explaining what happened a minute ago but it's also hormones telling like what your hormone levels this morning had to do with how your brain is functioning now but it's also what sort of environment you've been in, in recent months were you traumatized did you find love to define god all these things will have changed the brain you have today and then back to when you were an adolescent and childhood and when you were a fetus, because what was going on then has a shocking amount to do with what sort of brain you have now, and then back to your genes, and then back to the culture your ancestors invented, because that had something to do with how your mother was mothering you within minutes of birth. And when you look at findings, all these fields... uh it's very hard to see where the conventional notion of free will comes in. All we are is the outcome of all this biology stuff that we had no control over, and it's interactions with environment that we had no control
0: over. One of the things that piles onto that is this notion of decision-making and what brain research has told us about that and the way we think we make calculated, careful decisions when in fact it it is simply based on, on what might be called gut instinct, or more specifically, the sense of all of that that environmental and biological history that you're talking about.
1: Exactly. Um and just to make a distinction, I think there's as little free will as in there as when you very consciously make a decision without those particular influences. But yeah, what all sorts of research is showing um, is that half the time when, for example, we are making a moral decision and we think we have felt our way, I'm sorry, we think we have thought our way to that decision. In fact, we have felt our way to it. And the thinking part is just rationalizing afterward why that actually makes sense. And the way to see that in action is when you get somebody where they say, this is this is like the utter giveaway. Um, I can't quite put my finger on it. But when those people do that sort of thing, it's simply wrong. And when they then say, aha, no, I understand now because I read last week they did, or because historically they did whatever, what you're seeing there is, oh, the thinking, quote, parts of their brain have just caught up with their emotive gut aspects of it and has come up with a rational explanation. A huge amount of the time when we think we are thinking our way, we are actually feeling our way to a decision.
0: There's also this sense that when we think we've made a correct decision or things turn out well, we think that it's a reasoned decision. And when things turn out badly, we're quick to say it was because we made an emotional decision.
1: Absolutely. Or we made a situational one. Aha, turned out to be a disaster because I was stressed that day, because I was sleep deprived, because I was distracted. With That's why I decided to do that. Because I'm not normally the kind of person who would mess up in that way. Yeah, we have situational explanations in case like that but when it turns out to be great we have constitutional ones what can i say that's who i am i've always been this way i'll always be this way you know just i i call it as i see it and that's what i decided to
0: do understanding mental illness better to what extent does that help us understand this broader notion
1: well it does most helpfully in the large sense of uh mental illness psychoses mood disorders these are not subtle and you look at someone who is delusional who is sitting there paralyzed with anxiety by things that nobody else is bothered by all of those you look at them and it's not hard to reach the conclusion that there's some very screwy biology going on there Historically, that wasn't always the case. It was very easy for people to reach conclusions like, oh, they are demonically possessed, and that kept things going with schizophrenia for centuries or so. Burn them at the stake if they're hearing voices, all of that. But we've reached a point of progress where we look at those dramatic examples of biology running amok in us, and it's hard to not say, there's something very organically wrong with that person. And we've made a lot of progress with that. All we need to do is then take the next leap and say, and you know, it's a different kind of biology and it's a lot less florid and chaotic and tragic when trying to figure out why you just did what you did, or I just did what I did in a much more everyday realm. It's just as biological. happens to be a different sort of biology, but it's much harder to to go from the very sort of flavoring examples. You get someone who has had a massive amount of damage to one part of their brain, and they're going to have enormous problems regulating their behavior appropriately. And a fair percentage of judges and juries accept that these days. There was something wrong with their brain. That wasn't really them. And what the challenge is, is to take it out of the realm of them and their abnormal behaviors and recognize it applies to us and all of our everyday ones
0: as well. Is there something that is inherently demoralizing about the notion that we don't have the free will that we think we do that when we come to understand all of these things that there's something that that says within us that our actions matter less and therefore we feel less empowered oh we should definitely feel less empowered
1: we should feel less empowered when we decide we really really earned our prestigious college degree and our big salary. Um, We should feel as if somebody else was less empowered if they're sitting at the defendant's table in a courtroom. Um, In all of these cases, uh, when it applies to us and our good fortune, it's really nice to believe in free will. Um, And when it's for someone else, uh, you know, that's a really good uh, conclusion to toss out also. What can I say? They, they made their decisions. We don't make any of our decisions because all we are right now is who we turned out to be turned into by our prior biological and environmental luck. And if your luck was profoundly crummy, discovering that that profoundly crummy luck created the brain that you have is not <laughs> demoralizing. That suddenly explains a whole lot of things that society is willing to blame you for.
0: What do we make of someone who's had the luck, who had all the right breaks and turns out badly or winds up at that defendant's table in a, in, in a criminal courtroom?
1: Well, one of the words that like ours, you and our society and our sort of values is someone who squandered, squandered the good things that like chance handed to them. And we sit there and like, that's who we keep moral, moral disapproval on in the same way that we're spectacularly moved by someone who had everything going against them. And it turned out they had the tenacity and the grit and the get going it to witness to rise above their lousy chances. All We look at those and there's this tremendous false dichotomy that people fall into, which is most people are willing to say, yeah, yeah, yeah there there's there's all sorts of things they had no control over. They're not seven foot two, and that's why they're not in the NBA or they got born into a wealthy family, and that's why they don't have the same socioeconomic problems as so many other. yeah, there's all sorts of attributes that got handed to you. That has to do with luck and environmental luck and biological luck and all. But whoa, what you do with it? what you then do with those things you've been handed, that's the measure of you as a person. Did you show backbone? Did you squander your good fortune? Et cetera, et cetera. And the reason why that's a false dichotomy is because the, whoa, what you do with what life is thrown at you is made out of the same exact biology as those attributes that you just got handed that we view as having been out of our control. There's a hard ass biology as to why, at some junctures, some people make the right decisions and some people never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And that's as much a byproduct of everything that came before as all those other things that we much more easily view as, yeah, that. That just got handed to you. That was just a, an attribute that you wound up with.
0: What does science, neuroscience teach us? What have we learned in terms of this connection between emotion and reasoning that is inherently tied into all that we've been talking about?
1: Well, it's another one of those like massive looming false dichotomies that like there's one part of your brain that does emotions and that's like you as a wildebeest and some guy is like giving territorial threats on your territory and you're getting all emotionally driven and your your emotive parts of the brain are taking over and that's like that's the very animalistic aspect and then we have our gleaming cerebral cortex that's doing all the thinking it's a totally false dichotomy and you can't separate out the two we feel our way to what we think we think our way to what sort of emotional thing attitudes we have about the world they're utterly inseparable and when you study the neurobiology of it that's all you see they're not two separate systems one of them may have more sway at some times than the other, but they're absolutely intertwined.
0: What happens to societal norms and our sense of equity, I suppose, for lack of a better word, when we come to understand this notion of predeterminism and a lot less free will than we think?
1: Well, it should make for a world in which a lot more people are galvanized into action by. Lots of folks being treated badly or judged poorly or punished or ignored or marginalized because of stuff they had no control over. And a lot of people were sitting there saying, damn, I did a good job winding up where I am and where they didn't have a whole lot to do with it either. And it would be a much better world if uh, the notion that people were entitled to how they were treated one way or the other was looking a
0: whole lot more suspect. Talk about luck and the way that word gets f- thrown around in this debate. Okay, luck, here's an example
1: of totally lousy luck. You picked the wrong womb. You, you chose the wrong womb when you were just like a fertilized egg and you wound up spending nine months in a really influential environment. Was there enough protein in the bloodstream coming from your mother because she wasn't starving? Was there enough stimulation that was getting through a lot of environmental stimulation that gets to a fetus? What sort of stress hormone levels was your mother secreting? Did she have elevated levels because she was homeless? Because there was some warlord threatening her village because this or that? Because if she had elevated levels of stress hormones in her bloodstream, they would have gotten into your circulation and gotten to your brain and influenced what sort of brain you were building. For example, get exposed to a lot of stress hormones when you're a fetus, and there's this one part of the brain called the amygdala that's now more likely to be bigger than it should be when you're an adult. What's the amygdala about? Fear and aggression and anxiety And you're going to turn out to be the sort of person who sees threats that other people don't and the sort of person where lots of people are going to be able to get a hold of their emotions when they're just about to do something something really consequential and you won't be able to instead because your amygdala turned out to have stronger wiring than it would have otherwise and whoa that's crummy luck. Why did two of you wind up in the same position just now, and you're the one who decided to pull out the gun and shoot the liquor store owner guy while you're having a stick-up kind of thing? Whoa, how that happened? That had something to do with a crappy luck in my life, starting with when I was a fetus and just reinforced since then. When you look at things like luck takes the form of, like, what you were able to have for breakfast today and thus how much glucose you have in your bloodstream or whether you can regulate your behaviors luck luck takes the form of what versions of genes you wound up with luck takes the form of what sort of culture your ancestors came up with
0: and thus what values you were raised with luck is all
1: there is
0: it is so ironic i suppose on one level that so much of of the research that has provided the basis for all of this the academic research the research within academic institutions is funded in some measure by people that are the lucky ones that have made have gotten all the breaks yeah absolutely and You know, not to
1: disparage the world in which I fortunately grew up in, um, but I spend my time, you know, teaching at Stanford University, teaching these spectacularly like smart, motivated students who have their hearts all in the right places and all of that. And when you look at like how they wound up the way they are. And then, I don't know, you go across the tracks and you look at the county prison and you look at the 20-year-olds and the ones who wound up there and what their backgrounds are. It's not very surprising. There's some amazing exceptions now and then, and it's worth talking about where those incredible exceptions come from. But it's not by chance who I wind up having as these great, Folks who are destined to change the work sitting in my classrooms and the ones who at age 20 are already starting off careers in the criminal justice system.
0: Is it fair to say that those exceptions, spectacular as some of them are, that it's really the exceptions that kind of prove the rule here?
1: Once you dig around more, once you see, okay, let me give you a great historical exception and one that like moves me enormously, Pearl Harbor. Lots of Japanese pilots happily got into their planes and did the sneak attack and bombed Pearl Harbor. And this was the enemy and being willing to die for the emperor and a totally militaristic culture that produced that mindset, all of that. And about 50 years later... On a Pearl Harbor Day, there was the annual ceremony there in, in Hawaii, in Oahu, where a bunch of now dwindling number of survivors of the attack were there for a ceremony. And out of a group of onlookers came this 70-year-old elderly Japanese man who came up to them and said, I was one of the pilots and I'm sorry for what I did. Whoa! What the hell was that? How did that happen? That was absolutely amazing and totally moving. And a few of these guys embraced him. And one of them, he was close to him and his family and all of that for the rest of their lives. And this, How did this change happen? And it turned out there were some interesting predictors. This guy was eventually captured as a POW. And he spent his time captured by Americans in a POW camp and decided they were kind of nice to him. And afterward, it turned out his experiences were much better than, you know, his his brothers at arms who wound up in other sort. afterward, he worked in the Japanese a sort of extension of some American corporation for 20, 30 years. One of his kids married somebody American. All of these things happened where he wound up reflecting on what went on. One other piece of it, Pearl Harbor was a sneak attack. Japan didn't declare war until the next day. And all the pilots went off that morning being told that Japan had already declared war. And they had done, And they were shamed. They were shamed by the fact that they did something this dishonorable as a sneak attack and had been lied to about it. And they felt shame forever after about what they had done. And this was a guy who had also participated in like the invasion of of Manchuria a few years earlier, where there were some of the worst atrocities ever seen in warfare. And there's no evidence he ever went there and apologized to anyone. How did he turn out to be an exception? How did he turn out to be this kind of exception, but never did anything in China? All these things don't happen by
0: chance you know we we've talked a lot about how this impacts on how we judge ourselves and our success or failure but it also in in a broader sense really determines how we judge others and how we judge the world around us yeah and if we really really follow through the implications of all of this
1: and rather than feeling proud of what we've accomplished, if we're those lucky ones and instead feeling grateful that our random luck wound up that way and like we've got enough to eat and we're not like living on the streets or some version of that. If we really, really follow this through, none of us are entitled to having our needs considered any more
0: than anybody else's needs because we didn't earn it. Robert Sapolsky. His book is Determined, A Science of Life Without Free Will. Robert, I thank you so much for spending time with us today here on the California Sun Podcast. Well, thank you for having me on and letting me rant about this. (laughs) (laughs) Much appreciated. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you for listening and joining us here on the California Sun Podcast. I hope you'll join us next week. I'm Jeff Sheckman. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share and help others find it by rating and reviewing it on iTunes, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.